All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Jello here alongside Connor Neville of RT Sport Online. We're on RT.ie, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, among others. Former Ireland International Keith Tracy and former St. Pat's and Shelburne midfielder Conan Byrne joins today as well. Lots to discuss, including the Champions League final, which will be live on RT2 and the RT Player on Saturday night, and plenty of League of Ireland action. But where we're going to start first is the Ireland squad that was named last week, for the games against Greece, which are next Friday, and then the following game against Gibraltar at home. And Connor, I suppose at this point, there's not a huge amount of surprises in terms of selection. No, not really. I mean, you see, we see Jack Taylor has been called up. Um, the biggest, I suppose, the biggest news is is Ogbeni's injury, um, which has kept him out, which is a big blow given how well he played against France. He was a real outlet uh, for Ireland, particularly the way they played that night. Um, and with without Coleman and I'm a I'm a Babadile, so yeah, and Callum Robinson too. So it's hard to judge these squads so so far out from a from a window. You know, you're kind of you're. Uh, it's not really until we see we see the initial team name that we get the shape of what he's thinking about. So I mean, that's that's where it'll really count. Uh, you know, these squads really there there aren't a lot of surprises if you exclude injuries and all the rest so i know that i know there was a lot of talk about tom cannon being potentially included and and he wasn't and kenny is happy for him to plow away with the under 21s so i hope that doesn't come back to haunt us but yeah um not too many surprises yeah and jack taylor is one of those that's called up although he's been in the squad before um keith in terms of Kenny picking him, it seems what really impressed him was the fact that he was involved with Peterborough in the League One playoffs and obviously first leg of that um, against Sheffield Wednesday, they won 4-0 and then obviously the devastation of losing 5-1 and on penalties in the in the second leg and yet he still made a point to come into Bristol for um, for the training camp and that seems to be an, an added bonus in terms of uh, Kenny respecting his mentality. Yeah, I think uh, I think Stephen Kenny has tried to reward him. Um, obviously, he's had a very decent season with Peterborough, but real sucker punch to get uh, the way the season finished for him. But I, I do like him as a player. I do think he will come into the Irish squad. But I said this before, this is deep water now for lads who haven't played for Ireland before. So I just feel you, you have a personal responsibility to players that when you put them into the squad in these big games, you can't just throw them in. There is certain players you do. There is exceptions to the rule, but I just think if you throw Jack Taylor in there and he doesn't do well, you'd be thinking, I sort of seen this one coming. So, look, his Ireland career is all in front of him. I do think this would be great for him to be in and around European qualifiers, get a, get a feel of what the squad is like, how you prepare for these big games, and just learn. And look, I, I just think it's too it's deep water. But I, I, reading what Stephen Kenny said about the, the training camp in Bristol, I think this is just a little bit of a pat on the back saying, listen, I think you've been excellent this season, doing really well to come in. Because, People don't want to hear this, but a lot of players at the end of the season, when they get asked to come to a training camp, whether they play for Ireland or not, they're more or less going to back out of it, you know. So for Jack Taylor, to sit with that sickening feeling in his stomach at the end of the season, to say, listen, I'll go again and I'll train well. Clearly, he did train well in Bristol. Uh, Stephen Kenny's impressed from him. He's getting a little bit of a pat on the back saying, we'll bring you into the squad. But I have to be honest, I'd be very, very surprised if Jack Taylor got any minutes on the pitch and that's not because I don't think he's up to it I just think it's just a little bit too early in his Irish career to uh, to be throwing him in at the deep end just yet Yeah and Coleman obviously Seamus Coleman being out there's uh, in terms of the depth at uh, right wing back it, Matt Doherty's obviously the in, first in line to start but 
it's interesting, Mark Sykes, who tends to play a little bit further forward for Bristol City and previously for Oxford, is listed as a defender. So, And I presume this is in line with him being the next in line, either him or Alan Brown, who's also filled in in that position from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. It's obviously really disappointing that Seamus Coleman is, is out injured for these games, but Matt Doherty is probably going to be in that position. Um, it's just dis- like, again, he hasn't, he's played a co- only a couple of minutes since his move from uh, from Spurs to Atletico Madrid. Um, you'd expect him to get some game time in that period. And unfortunately, it, it was an absolutely horrendous move for him. Um, so his match sharpness wouldn't be up to up to speed. But um, yeah, like like you said there, Mark Sykes, obviously Stephen Kenny has seen potential him in, in, for him in that role. Um, Alan Brown has played there before as well. He's done particularly well um, in previous games. So there is a bit of depth to that right wing back position, albeit maybe not the quality of, of Seamus Coleman um, because he liked to do, he likes to play Coleman and Doherty over the last number of games and they've done really, really well. Um, but it's further up the pitch that I'm, I'm really excited about, Raf. Um, Mikey Johnson obviously is, did really, really well. He got the crowd on the edge of their feet the last time he was playing the Aviva. Really, really exciting. Evan Ferguson, the way he's been playing in the Premier League has been absolutely sensational. Great to see how he will get on against against the two two teams. Um, so yeah, exciting, um, exciting times over the next couple of weeks for sure. Yeah, and as you mentioned up front, Colin, and the options that are there, there's a lot of striking options in terms of who can play off Evan Ferguson if they're going with this 5-3-2, which would be the expectation. So who would you like to see partner him for Greece? Because it's obviously a very different challenge to Gibraltar. Yeah, it is. Like, and obviously, you have Adam Ida, you have Troy Parrott, you have Michael Obafemi. Um, and I think out of those three, I think Stephen Kenny is really keen on Obafemi. Um, he scores goals, he holds the ball up really well, he brings others into play. Um, but having said that, is he sim- too similar to Evan Ferguson in that way in terms of bringing the ball into play? Obviously, Ferguson will score the goals. Hopefully, he'll be the out and out centre forward, and Obafemi will drop in, and as I said, bring others into play. So, um. If I'm, if you're asking me who who I think he'll go for, I think it'll be Obafemi. Yeah, and Keith, in terms of the overall starting eleven, who would you like to see picked in that eleven, or who do you expect to see um, lining out in Athens, injury injury permitting? I don't think it'd be too dissimilar to what he's generally done, Raph. I think he'll play three centre halves with the two wing backs, and it's just whether or not he goes Ferguson up front alone, or whether he does put Obafemi with him. And I, I'd be, I'd be very similar to Cohen, and I'd like to see Ferguson and Obafemi start together. But Obafemi, I wouldn't tell him to come to the ball. I, I tell him to stay away from the ball. I let Ferguson come and drop into the hole. And every time Ferguson is into the hole, Obafemi has to be on the shoulder of the other centre half, stretching the game that way. So. I just think we give ourselves an option in behind and we give ourselves an option short. And it doesn't always have to be Ferguson dropping into that hole, but nine times out of ten, you'd want Evan coming and getting the ball and you'd want Evan all the family stretching them. So I don't think there'll be any great uh, great surprises. Like James McLean, would he get in and play the game? That would get him up to 99 caps and then he'll get his 100 cap against uh, Gibraltar. So I do think we'll see James McLean at some point when he starts that left wing back. I'm not too sure, but I don't think there'll be any great surprises. I think we're starting to understand what we're going to get from a Stephen Kenny Irish team and the, the one thing for me is the possession is going to be especially the Greece game away possession is going to be at a premium if you lose the ball there it's going to be so so hot you're going to be running around chasing shadows so we have to keep the ball we have to use the dark arts really really well kill the clock when we can take our time over things but the one thing is we need, I, I would love us to get an early goal that way we can kill it we can frustrate the Greeks and the, the Greeks the Greece, team aren't as bad as what people think they are. People think, oh, yeah, it'll be hot, it'll be difficult. 
but Greece aren't bad lads. They really aren't bad, and we're not any great shape either, to be honest with us. So I think that'll be a really tough game. I'm giving us three points against Gibraltar. I know what happened here the last time, but I'm assuming we're going to go and beat Gibraltar. So the one for me is Greece away. If we can get six points out of these two games, I think we're in with a point chance of getting second. But if we come out with six points, I'm not so sure. I think the Greece game is a big, big one. But in terms of the in terms of the selection, Rafa, I, I don't think it'll be. I think he could probably name it now, um, injuries injuries permitting. But yeah, there's a couple of question marks over Doherty's fitness. Maybe uh, Collins coming in as well hasn't played an awful lot of time at Wolves. But look, it's needs must at this at this moment in time. We're going to put them out there and hopefully hope what we see what we can get out. But like I say, the lads, Collins in particular. You know, are they going to be able to stay mentally tuned in for 90, 95 minutes in that heat? I'm not too sure. But look, Ferguson, all with at the top of the pit, at the top of the pitch, if that's how he does go, it gives us an awful lot of hope. But yeah, it, it's the walk rate and the, the keeping the ball that I'm really going to be worried about against Greece. The assumption, by the way, that Ododa will start because he, he had played very well against Latvia and then got injured. So he was seemingly ahead of Coleman in the pecking order at that point. Now, I don't know whether. He was in line to play against France anyway. Now, Coleman, as it happens, did very well in that role, sort of minding Bazunu or, or minding um, Mbappe, sorry, down down that wing. Um, but is 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 there a sense that Odauda has that position nailed down for Greece, do we think? Possibly. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Odauda went in. But again, Alan Brown is really, really good. He's one of these utility players. You can put him in centre midfield. You can put him up on the left wing. You can put him right back. He's just one of these lads that will go out there and get a 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10. So ideally, I'd like it to be Matt Dottery just because he knows that position. He knows what he's doing. If you put an Alan Brown out there, he, he is brilliant. He can do very well there, but he likes the attacking side of the game. So just 1v1 situations. Like I said, these Greek players are not bad in 1v1 situations. So we're going to have to defend well in wide areas. And look, Adam Brown, it's, it's probably a toss of a coin. But I just think with it being, an in, with it being a, a competitive international European qualifier, I think you go with Doherty. And although he hasn't played the minutes, he knows what's required to this level. He knows how to get through. And even if it's 65, 70 minutes from Doherty, you throw Adam Brown on or Adelda, so be it. But... We've got to get, I think we start with our best players on paper and we feel gaps after that. Yeah, and Gus Poyet is the Greek or the Greece manager and um, he was Brighton manager, I think, around the time. It would have crossed over your time at Burnley and also with Preston. From team meetings and, you know, I suppose the bits of opposition analysis you, you would have got as a player, do you get a sense of what type of manager he is? He's, he, exactly what you'd expect as, a, what he, as he was as a player. He's a... He likes to, he's very, very emotional. His teams are quite emotional at times. They play with their heart on their sleeves. So if we can frustrate the Greeks and, you know, let them run into the back of us, fall over, don't give them any chance to get to the ball, I think that will filter into the Greeks, really, really frustrate them. And set pieces will be a big thing in this game as well. Set pieces are a big, big thing in all games. They get overlooked in most games. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a really edgy mill all draw and then all of a sudden one of us go and score a set piece and it's decided on that. But I think we know what we get from Gus Poyet. He's very, very similar to what he was as a player. Very emotional, with his heart on his sleeve. And he will have some tactical, uh, some tactical nails up his sleeve as well for Stephen Kenny. So it won't be like a flat ball for two. And, oh, this is what we'll get. Come and break the Greeks down. It'll be quite a decent game tactically. So, yeah, I think we'll get what we get from Gus Poyet. Having played against him, yeah, I, I think we'll, uh, he's quite similar to what he was as a player.
Yeah, and the heat obviously being a factor has been discussed, Conan. And from your own experiences of acclimatizing to, especially in sort of like European games where you have to go to maybe Southern Europe, how difficult is it? How much time do you need to to get used to it? Yeah, it is difficult, and it's it's important to get a couple of training sessions under your under your belt, especially at the time of kickoff. So if you're, let's say, the game obviously the game is in the evening time, so to play to train the night before at the exact same time would, would be key, just to, as you say, acclimatize the situation. It's going to be difficult, like Keith said. It's all about the possession of the ball, and that's what the worry is. It's going to be playing thirty degree heat plus, um, and it's all about trying to keep the ball for as much as possible. If you lose it, you don't want to be chasing for too long because you'll just run into fatigue. The end of the season, like we said, there's a couple of players in our squad that don't have, that haven't played many minutes. The likes of Doherty and and, and Collins, um, Albafemi really hasn't really um played all that much either at Burnley. So it's um it's very very important that we once we get the ball that we keep it for for long spells and frustrate the Greeks, kill the game. If we, and like Keith said, if we go the goal up early, it'd be the ideal scenario for Stephen Kenny because we have players in that squad that can keep it compact. Um, if Greeks play it long, we've got three brilliant centre halves that will deal with that. Um, it's just that the runners and the one v one situations that that we'll have to be worried about in those in those times. But no, I think uh, I'm optimistic about about the result. Greece haven't been um, haven't been on flying in terms of the form recently. They drew nil all at home to Lithuania, um, two all away to Malta over the, like twice in the last four games. So um, I think we, we we're getting them at a good time. Yeah, and one other thing that Stephen Kenny discussed in his press conference when he was naming the squad last week was Quivin Kelleher's future at Liverpool. So we might just listen to what he had to say about that and then we'll um, discuss because obviously it's a huge summer for Quivin. Quivin has never let us down either. He's a very talented goalkeeper and hopefully, you know, it looks like, you know, he'll be on the move this summer and, he need, you know, it's, it can only benefit him because he needs to play games and obviously he's been starved of games this year and that's been a problem for him. And uh, he's very, ta- very, very talented, and um, it's hard to leave Liverpool. It's such a iconic club, but you know he's certainly he's he's not so young now. He's twenty four, and he needs to play, and he knows that. Have you spoken to him about that? Oh yeah, we speak to him speak regularly over the last year, and he knows that himself. And he knew that a long time uh, earlier in the season, and I think he's been in dialogue with Liverpool about that for a long time. And I think it it's most likely will happen. You would think, you know. In the summer, Connor, um, obviously Kenny there talking about Queeving Keller. Uh, I think about a week before that, Klopp had talked about the fact he was more than happy to keep Keller at Liverpool. So obviously something has to give. Well, it suits Klopp's purposes, I suppose, to have Kelleher there sitting because he he wants a backup. It doesn't suit Stephen Kenny's purposes, of course, because he uh, he's placed a great onus on players getting regular game time, and Kelleher is really sitting on the bench in almost in. The entire time at Liverpool these days. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's time probably. It feels like it's time for him to go. I know um Hugo Lloris is getting out at Spurs, maybe he'll go there. But I, I I it's it's hard to know where he'll pitch up. But I mean the important thing is that he gets playing regularly. Championship or Premier League, I think it's probably more likely championship. You might have a better handle on that. But either way, wherever he goes, um, as long as he's He's playing regularly, getting into the groove because his his form for Ireland in the last year has dipped a bit. You know, there's been a couple of errors here or there, and he he, he sort he sometimes seems to betray uh, the air of a keeper who isn't playing often enough and isn't isn't as sharp as he might be. So I think uh, it feels like it's it's a moment where he has to think about moving on and getting getting a first choice slot somewhere. 
Yeah, and it's a big moment at international level for him, Conan, as well, because um, you're looking at it with uh, Bazunu is sort of number one for now, but his situation at Southampton, he obviously got dropped in the run-in um, before they got relegated. Now there's a possibility he'll be restored as number one in the championship, but there's a little bit of flux there. And Travers as well is sort of in and out at Bournemouth over the last season. So if Quiven Kelleher were to get um, you know, first team game time, wherever that is, it would propel him up that pecking order, possibly above Bazunu, but who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as, as Connor said there, his Irish form hasn't been great over the last over the last 12 months. Um, and there's talk then of, of David Rea from Brentford going into Manchester United and Brentford will need to sign a, a goalkeeper. So would they look for somebody like Quivin? Um for there, so it's yeah, it's 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 going to be all up in the air. You'd like to see him move at the end of the day. Um, he was starved of, of games, um, even when times when in in games where you'd expect him to play, he didn't, and um, so that's the dis- disappointing thing from from his perspective. He needs to be playing games, um, and like you said, there Bazunu going in at number restored at number one for for Southampton next season. It's in the Championship where you play Saturday, Tuesday, so you, you're still getting plenty of game time, um. But yeah, you want to be you want your goalkeepers to play at the highest level, and um, it's just unfortunate that Southampton got relegated. And like Alex McCarthy coming in didn't cover himself in glory in a number of uh, in a number of goalkeeping situations at Southampton come the, come the latter part of the season. But uh, with Basuna restored and with the games under his belt, hopefully that will uh, stand to him next season. Yeah, and Keith, in terms of options for Cuevin Kelleher, where would you want to see him? Where would you expect him to to land at this point? Because obviously, um, as Conan mentioned there, Brentford, um, there's a possibility of the number one slot opening up there. Albeit they have been they have purchased some some other goalkeepers as well in the meantime. But there are there are a few options there. Yes, there's a few options. I, I think Brentford would be a match made in heaven. I think Thomas Frank at Brentford is a. They have this learning sort of ethos that nobody gets on anybody's back when they make mistakes, and I think Quivin would uh, would really thrive in that sort of situation. But I'm just thinking from a, from a player's point of view, like when you look at the players who will probably start against Greece, when you look at Collins, Obafemi, Doherty, these are players that haven't played a lot of minutes. So when Quivin knocks on Stephen Kenny's door and says, "Why am I not playing?" and Stephen Kenny's answer is, "Well, you're not getting enough minutes with your club." Well, then how come the rest of the lads are playing? It, it has to be one rule for all and not one rule for you and a different rule for somebody else. And we had it with Shane, uh, with Duffy as well. When Duffy wasn't playing at point, he was still coming into the squad because we needed him. But if you're going to throw that, that uh, you're not having enough minutes or you're not playing, I think I, I think that's a great rule, but I think it has to be a blanket for the whole squad. If you're not playing, then you're not you're not really in contention unless, you know, you're an Evan Ferguson or you're somebody like that. And I, I just think, he, you know... It, you can start getting little devoids in the squad here if you if you treat somebody like a a Darden, you haven't played a lot of minutes for your playing. Queen, you haven't played a lot of minutes for your not playing. I, I, ju- I just think sometimes lads can go for dinner and start getting in each other's ear and all of a sudden a little something can just spark you or nothing. So I hope I'm wrong. I hope the lads aren't aren't picking and choosing things like that. But yeah, I, I've been around footballers for a long time and I know how these things so I'm just wary of Queen thinking you know, how come that rails for me and it doesn't seem to apply to everybody else in the squad? Yeah, and we'll be previewing the uh, the Greece match and also Gibraltar a lot more on next week's podcast, of course. Um, and also, I'll have an analysis of the Greece team with a Greek journalist and writer called Vasilis Sambrakos. Um, hopefully chatting to him this week and then we'll uh, bring it to you next week and he'll kind of go through detail of 
I suppose everything from Euro 2004 when they won the tournament onwards and how they've developed and what this Gus Poyet team is like. So um, also just to, to mention, we've got uh, the FIFA Under-20 World Championships live on the RT News channel and RT Player, which is ongoing in Argentina at the moment. It's right at the semi-final stage. First semis on Wednesday at 6.25 between Uruguay and Israel and then 9.55, it's Italy against South Korea. And just to note, these tournaments are they're actually worth watching as well. A lot of future stars sometimes Sometimes they win an under-20 World Cup and then they go on and win the senior one. So Xavi and Casillas in 1999 with Spain. I think uh, Brian Kerr's Ireland were playing in that one with the likes of Robbie Keane, Damian Duff, Gary Darty, Colin Healy, um, Richie Sadler and Stephen McPhail were all part of the, the squad that featured there. Then Messi and Aguero, um, they win it in 2005 for Argentina, get to a World Cup final in 2014. And of course, as we know, Messi uh, last year went on and uh, actually got uh, the winner's medal, Pogba, Umtiti and Thoven for France in 2013. And then they win the World Cup, the senior one in 2018. And uh, Phil Foden won it in 2017 with England. And uh, of course, England haven't gone on to, to win anything yet. But uh, that's, uh, that's a story for another day. <laughs> You're tipping Israel for future greatness, are you? Uh, well, they're only in the, they're only they're only in the semi final for now. Um, obviously, yeah. reigning winners, of course, are Ukraine as well. A number there under twenties that won the tournament twenty nineteen have graduated on to their senior team now. So it's always a good gauge, possibly even more than twenty seventeen or the the seventeens because they're a little bit closer to first team football already playing first team football. And also, we've got. A live League of Ireland match between Derry and Bowles on RT2 and the RT player this Friday at 7.35. But in terms of uh, the weekend results, and obviously it was a bank holiday weekend, so there was action on Friday and Monday. On Friday, Bowles beats Ligo Rovers 2-0. Derry and Shelburne drew nil all. Cork City won 1-0 at Trotty United. Shamrock Rovers beat Dundalk 2-0 despite being down to 10 men. And then St. Pat's beat UCD 3-1. On Monday, Cork City beat Bowles 2-1. Dundalk uh, won 4-1 against UCD with uh, Hoban getting the hat-trick and also equaling uh, the club's all-time record in terms of goals. And then Shamrock Rovers winning 3-0 at Sligo Rovers. Aaron Green continuing his form from Friday with another goal and Rory Gaffney with a brace as well. And then St. Pat's beat Derry City 4-1 and Shelburne came from a goal down to beat Drodda United 3-2 and... Uh, Keith, I know you were at uh, you were at Richmond Park for uh, the St. Pat's uh, win over Derry City and a very impressive one at that. But I want to talk about Jay McGrath first because his uh, his goal was brilliant, but then also the ball over the top for Owen Doyle was uh, was a, was a, just a class pass as well. Yeah, well, I think you've been a little bit for I call it a class pass. I think he just lumped it over the top and hoped for the best. But look, Owen Doyle reads it, and that's what I always say to defenders: if you put your head down and you have a striker who reads it and runs, you're getting you're getting a jump on the defender, and that's exactly what happened. But even his goal, I thought his goal was excellent because Derry were really, really, really solid in their in their shape. And Diallo, he goes to it like he's about to play it out to the left wing. Diallo takes a step to the left and he just drives through the middle. Then you're looking for Cameron Dummigan to go and get in his face. He's a yard or so off it. And the two centre-halves just don't step in. He takes a shot on, you're thinking, it's a decent strike, but I still think Marsh would save it in the goal. And I think that was a huge, huge, huge uh, moment in the game when Pats hit the back of the net because there wasn't an awful lot in it. It was very, very scrappy in the middle of the pitch. Not an awful lot of room. And I thought Pats were brilliant. I went to the, the UCD game on Friday night and I thought Pats were good, but I, I more so put it down to UCD being very, very poor that, that Pats were able to dominate. And so this was a big test for Pats. I thought they were excellent. Chris Forrester again, and I say it all the time, if Chris Forrester's on song, Pats are generally on song. And you see his header, 
I, I'm forever telling my young lads that if you go outside the width of the goal, it's so, so hard to score a goal. Percentages are if you're in the width of the goal, you have a better chance of scoring. And his run actually takes him outside the post. So to be able to redirect that header into the far corner was brilliant. But, yeah, I, I was quite disappointed with Derry, I have to say. I thought Pat's press was really, really good. They were setting little traps all over the pitch. And every time Derry tried to go through the middle, there was two or three bodies just snapping at the heels. And you see the, the Doyle goal, the Mark Doyle goal towards the end. He goes and wins the ball on the halfway line. And no, no Derry player can, can recover. He's already in one-on-one, you're thinking. This is just so poor from a Derry point of view because I came there and I was expecting an awful lot from Derry with the talent they have on the pitch. I know Patrick McElhenney went off injured, but he was on there for a good, ch- a good chunk of the game and he wasn't really dictating an awful lot. So I think that was, that was probably the main battle there. Forrester against McElhenney and Forrester came out on top, which obviously helped Pats get out on top. But I think under John Daly, that's six wins in seven games now. And even the Shamrock Rovers game, they lost. That was there was a three-two game. A pass were well in that could have easily nicked the draw. Swung a couple of punches in it. So I think it's it's been really really good. But I've seen so a lot of out, outstanding uh, individual performance. Sam Curtis was brilliant. Jamie Lennon in the middle of the pitch was really really good. Owen Doyle's movement with Mark Conley on his back all the time was really good. But I, I've been I've been going to every Pat's home game, a couple of away games now for about two years. And that, that's probably the best I've seen them as a team, as a unit, the way they move the pitch. Every now and then, Conley would film a big diag to the, to the other side of the pitch. And Pats would just slide across. They wouldn't get flustered. They wouldn't start running like headless chickens. They would move really well as a unit. And every time the ball went two, a yard, two or three yards backwards, they were pushing up straight away. And every now and then, Derry did flick one over the top. But they never got any change over whatsoever. I thought Pats defensively was the best I've seen them. And, Obviously, they have an awful lot of individual talent on the pitch that can go on whole teams as well. Yeah, I might get both of your thoughts, um, yourself and Conan, just in regards to what John Daly has changed. Because I know it's small tweaks and also there's injuries that have played a part and why certain players have been getting a run in, run in the team. But I might start with you, Keith, just since he's come in and since he first took over as caretaker, what has he tweaked? Because I know they're not major changes, but they're small um, small tweaks. No, not major changes. I think uh, I think the big one for me is that Pats sometimes have really, really comfortable possession on their own back line and they will just recycle it around the centre midfield to the centre halves or out to the left back that will come back around and they get the chance to play forward but they turn it down and like dirty like they did the dirty yesterday, they're setting traps and they know when to go. But now Pats they get the ball left back, they get the ball right back and they're turning teams, they're turning teams for five, ten minutes and no teams want to run run towards their own goal and this is not long ball football. This is playing long balls with a view to being able to play football five minutes down the line. So you're getting teams to back off. So there's been little tweaks with John Daly, but the big one for me is the walk rate. And I, I referenced the half, uh, yesterday at halftime in the game. Pats' intensity, Pats' pressure was brilliant. I wasn't sure if they were able to, going to be able to do it for 90, 95 minutes in the game. As it was, their fitness levels were brilliant. And when you think it, it's even more impressive when you think of Joel Redmond played every minute of every game last season, Grigowski as well as Ninja now. Two, I don't want to call them second choice centre-halves, but they wouldn't be the first name on the team sheet if the other two lads were fit. So I think it's been really, really impressive by Pats. And they've got Drottedon now on Friday. If they're going to beat Drottedon going into the break, seven wins from eight games under John Daly, I think we can all excuse a loss to, to Shamrock Rovers given how good they are. So it's been brilliant. And like you say, it's little tactical tweaks and, I think when you motivate the dressing room, when you get them running through brick walls, when you get Jamie Lennon just breaking up everything that, that dirty are throwing at you, you have every chance to, to go and win the game. And I had a question marks over Pats defensively. I didn't think there was a lot, a lot 
in the in the both teams in an offensive manner, but defensively I thought Derry were a little bit more solid than Pats, but that wasn't the case yesterday. I thought Pats defensively were brilliant. Yeah, and Conan similarly just on the obviously the confidence is coursing through them with with momentum, but um at the same time, what have you noticed about uh, some of the things John Daly has done at this very early juncture in his tenure? Yeah, and at the start, like you're you're looking at previous times where an assistant has taken over the reins and it may not have worked out um as well as it has done. Now I know it's still very very early, but obviously John Daly saw the potential of this squad. Um, he knew that they were they weren't performing to their maximum and he felt as it, uh, that he could get that out of them and he has done that. Um, no question about it. Like I'm looking at that defence yesterday. Sam Curtis, who's been excellent by the way. Um, Noah Lewis, Jay McGrath, Anto Breslin coming up against Duffy, Graydon and and um, King Cavanagh. And you're just expecting them to dare to really push on against that back four considering you're missing Tom Gravosti, you're missing Joe Redmond. Um, and Pats were so comfortable. Like so comfortable in the game, um, tactically really, really good, and like Keith said, I think the 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 thing that I've seen now, Keith has been to a lot more games than I have, but in terms of the work rate that I've seen from Pats, it's increased t- uh, tenfold since since uh, John has come in. So we noticed that they weren't working hard enough, and he's rectified that really, really well. Um, and to score, they're scoring goals, you know. And I, I've been I've been at a couple of games over the last couple of weeks, and um, that haven't been involved, that haven't involved Pats, and I've been thinking that. The League of Ireland is starting to look a bit flat in terms of like players aren't starting to, to make what to go one v one against players. They're not willing to take them on. And I'm thinking is it because of statistical stuff that that they're not doing that. They don't want to see that they've been dispossessed or or or, or anything like that. And I'm and it's infuriating sometimes when people get the ball and they're not running at players and being direct and and, and going at them. But with Pats and in, in the clips that I've seen. They're really getting at the defenders. They're working really, really hard. And the fourth goal sums it up the way Mark Doyle just wins the ball in midfield, drives forward really, really poor defensively, but gets through and, and finishes off a, a fine a fine goal and puts the icing on the cake for Pats. So, yeah, it's the small tweaks. And, and funnily enough, actually, what Kravosti said in an interview there last week was, was really evident in the sense that he was saying that we all wanted John Daly to get the job. We, we, were, we were hoping that he would get it. So um, the players are behind him. And... Um, it's working really, really well. Yeah, and then on the other side, but obviously Derry unraveled a bit uh, on the Monday night, and the uh, the result at home, the nil nil all draw with shells. Probably, you know, look, their home. We know their home form has been an issue, probably as much to do with that pitch that that they have up there. But it's um, you know, they would have had high expectations this season, but it just seems there's they're a little bit they're a little bit off it for the moment. Yeah, they need they need the break, Raph. Um, I think with the injuries that they have, like Cameron Dumigan obviously gone off um, late in the game, McElhenney as well, Duffy went off at halftime, they're the three best players. Um, I think their their strikers haven't performed in the sense of of putting the ball in the back of the net enough times. Um, like McGonagall is in and out of the team, King Kavanagh in and out of the team. So you want a player that get likes of Hooban, Gaffney, that will just score goals week in, week out, and it's, it's not happening for Derry City. Um, I'm reading reports of the prep being put, some people putting pressure on Rory Higgins, but we've got to remember that it's been a really, really, really tough year. There's no excuses for that in professional football, but having said that, it is extenuating circumstances going on. And he mentioned in a report with Dan McDonald in the Independent there over the last couple of days how how life has been really, really hard and and trying to focus on on football and that's going to have an impact. Um, but also the, the injuries to key players has been absolutely massive, like I've mentioned. Um. 
and goal scorers not performing is huge. But they've missed Mark Connolly. He's come back. Obviously, didn't cover himself in glory yesterday in in, in the game. I thought he I thought he had a poor game. Um, especially for the second goal where the ball went in, in behind um and on Doyle ran onto, ran onto. Um but yeah, I think Derry just need the break, a few more reinforcements and go again. Yeah, and Connor, uh, we've the live game as I mentioned earlier between uh, Bowles and Derry, and like they met a few weeks ago um at mm. Daly Mount and um Derry Derry won away from home on that day, but that becomes a much bigger game now this Friday because Bowes had a mixed uh, mixed weekend with a good win against Ligo Rovers, but then losing a, losing a cork and obviously Derry needing a bit of a kickstart before the break. Yeah, it's worth noting, uh, Conan talking about Rory Higgins there, his, his comments were fairly blunt after the game last night. He were words like unacceptable and gut-wrenching, and he, he apologised to the supporters for the performance. It's hard to... Uh, believe it's hard to recall now that they were top of the table about 10 days ago really because they're, they're after slipping four behind that's one point from three games and Sherman Grovers have sped four points clear and it suddenly it looks a bit strung out at the top now um yeah that's a very big game and their home form has been really extremely poor um they've I think they've won four out of ten so far which drawn three last three which is poor home form for a team challenging for the title obviously I mean we saw them they were televised against Shamrock Rovers at home several weeks ago and they were totally outclassed, I thought. I mean, they were Shamrock Rovers looked far superior in, in every respect. Jack Byrne in particular ran the game. Even even their 2-1 win in Tala was at the start of the season was fairly fortuitous. You do you do get the sense that Shamrock Rovers gave everyone a chance with their sort of scratchy start to the season this year. And you know, a lot a lot of cards flashing their way and they're kind of they're dropping points here and there, but no one has really grabbed the initiative. Derry haven't been able to with everything going on there. And you feel that Rovers are kind of spinning their wheels at the moment and they're just going to, they're going to break free soon and, and run away, run away from everyone. Um, sickening loss for Bowles as well, to, to uh, given the circumstances late last night, uh, equalizing so late and then, then conceding immediately. Um, you, you don't want to be encouraging uh, clubs to dispense with managers willy-nilly but it does seem that Cork and Pats are a very good advertisement for um, moving a manager along mid-season because Cork have, have won four in a row now having you know made a pretty poor start of the season and they're still second bottom I believe but that's four wins in a row so, so their season has really turned around as well yeah, and just on Cork, Keith, I mean, as uh, Connor said, they're on a roll and I guess what's exemplified by it is Bose equalize and then like a minute later they respond and Kresic gets the winner and I'd imagine a few weeks back before they started this run that they might have actually been that crestfallen they might have conceded another it was great they showed a, a great bit of backbone in the game when the, when the equalizer went in you thought oh, well, at least they've had a goal but yeah to go to go and nick it towards the end was brilliant from them and it was great one of my old mates Liam Buckley has gone in there now as well Colin obviously knows him very well so I, I'm Happy for, for Cork to be able to do that. And, you know, there has to be an area of realism about this. If Cork finished ninth in the league, they'll be they'll be delighted. And you know, at the minute, I think they, they I think they just jumped over drop in the last night, did he? But actually eighth in the league at the minute. So yeah, yeah they're, they're probably punching a little bit above their weight. But like I said, if, if they can avoid automatic relegation, which it looks like UCD are going to be taking that. So yeah, I, I think it's been brilliant from Cork so far, but. You know, it's a long, long, hard season, and I do see them getting detached at the bottom with UCD. But like I say, staying out of the, out of the automatic relegation, which is you know the remit for the season for them. 
Yeah, and whereas uh, Conan Shamrock Rovers has discussed there, you know, they've uh, I think uh, as Connor said, you know, the the wheels are spinning, and then if they might uh, they might pull away. Although I think I said that a few weeks ago, and then they they lost two games in a row, so I might be jinxing them. But um, Aaron Green probably shows their depth. I mean, two goals against Dundalk. Um, when they're also and in between those goals, obviously they go down to ten men with Ronan Finn getting sent off, and then he adds the he adds another goal against Sligo Rovers as well. So it just goes to show how much depth they have. So if a couple of players aren't performing, you know, Green who hasn't had that many opportunities this season can come in and uh, you know hit the ground running. Uh, that's what you get with a player like Aaron Green. Played with him for a number number of times up at, at Pats and. He's one of those players that just is an ultimate professional. He does his work off the pitch. Um, so no matter if he doesn't have minutes under his belt, he'll always be sharp coming on. Um, and his two goals against Dundalk were were fantastic. Obviously, the first one was a bit fortuitous. I don't know if it was going wide um, but before it got the touch off Shepard. But um, second one was a really, really good finish. And again, scoring yesterday as well. So it's great for, for Aaron and for Stephen Bradley to, to, to be able to... Re- to, to, to know that there's players like Aaron Green that mightn't that are, I'm not, not saying that they're going to be happy sitting on the bench but they're going to come on and they're going to give their all there's not going to be huffing or puffing when, when they're not playing um, but yeah a really really good bank holiday weekend for, for Shamrock Rovers obviously the 2-0 win in, in Holmes at Dundalk and, and live on telly on Friday and then a magnificent 3-0 win but I don't think Sligo laid a, laid a glove on them by all accounts um, really really easy performance the two quick fire goals killed it for Rory Gaffney, making it seven for the season for him. So he's starting to hit the ground running. But what I've noticed, like they obviously had their suspensions from the previous week against Cork, and they made a couple of changes, three changes to Friday's night's game to Monday's game, and still didn't have Burke Hoare or Burke starting either game. So the strength and depth in that squad is 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 frightening, and they're well, well able to to uh, to manage the the situation really really well. And with UCD on Friday, it kind of gives them a nice a nice uh, game coming into heading into the break but do they want it <laughs> yeah and uh, Sligo just uh, noticeably um, they did win um, they did win uh, before the weekend but they've only scored one goal in their last six games and they have Shells next who don't usually yeah, obviously Shells conceded a couple of goals against Rada but usually they don't concede too many so it's it there's some there's an issue there other than say Max Mata being in brilliant form at the start of the season getting goals in general especially more recently has been a bit of an issue for them there's too much reliance on him, Raf. Like you have Fabrice Hartman, that's got three goals, and I think you've got seven other players on one goal. Um, so it's just reliance on Max. And like out of the as you mentioned there, the five defeats and six, and their only win came fortuitously of Will Fitzgerald with the deflection in the fourth minute against Derry City, managed to hold on um really, really well, really dogged performance. But in all the other games that they've lost, the five other defeats, they didn't score in any any of those games, which is really disappointing. So if they go a goal behind, you're not counting your chickens that they're gonna score. Um, so that's disappointing. And again, is is like Derry is John Russell under pressure now from from this. You, you, the, like Sligo fans are 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 hoping and expecting Europe. That's what they that's that's the main thing that they want every single season. And um, with the injuries that they've had, like Carlos Sullivan's out, John Mahan was ill yesterday. He didn't play. Greg Bulger didn't play. So they're missing missing players too, like uh, similar to Derry. So um, it's just going to be really interesting to see how. How they get on on Friday, and then also, if um, the break is it gonna is it gonna bring these players back into the fold and recover in time for the in term after the break? 
Yeah, whereas Shells and Keith, they were three three games without a goal, and then Sean Boyd, just when they needed it, they've gone a goal down against Strada last night, and uh, he pops up with a real centre forwards header, and they'll need him obviously going forward in terms of having that kind of cutting edge along with uh, Moylan and uh, Maddie Smith as well. Yeah, and that that's the thing. Um, when I when I think of Shelbourne, if I was setting my team up to play against Shelbourne, you're thinking, right, these are going to be really rigid. Not going to give you anything for free. You're going to have to earn everything you get. But on the flip side of that, they don't hit the back of the net an awful lot. So you can be the you can go and have a real go at Shelbourne because they are defensively solid. And like I say, don't generally throw too many punches at the under the other end of the pitch. But to score three goals. You know, they, they do have an awful lot of attacking talent, but like I say, they, they seem to defend force and build from there. And If the other team don't score, if you keep a clean sheet, you've only had to score the one goal to win the game. And I think Damien Duff is, I think he tries to build his team on a defensive mindset that if we're defensively solid and give nothing, we've every chance of going and winning this game. And Look, I, I, I'm, I've said it before with Shelbourne, you know, this is their second full season in the league and I think they're fifth in the league now and they're absolutely flying under Damien Duff and people will throw it at them as soon as they play five at the back they're a little bit bored when you scratch the surface of that and you start getting down to the, the nitty gritty of the analytics and the analytics and how they play how they recover the recovery wounds are always sprints it is really really good stuff it, it, like I say sometimes on the eye it's not great but Damien Duff has them really really well drilled and like uh, Conan just said there um, Shamrock Rovers are playing UCD what a great game I think the Shamrock Rovers players will be thinking that lovely we're playing UCD Nobody goes to Talca Park or nobody plays against Shelbourne thinking, lovely, we have Shelbourne this weekend. They know it's going to be a tough game. And that's what every every coach and every manager wants to hear about their team is that nobody wants to play them. And I don't think anybody rokes their hands when they know they're playing Shelbourne. Yeah, and then Drada lost a couple of games over the weekend, but uh, they have at least you know obviously we've we've you know we've talked about them across the season and they've been very impressive. But um, Draper as well has been bringing a bit of cutting edge. I think that's uh, what is it four goals in his uh, uh, last three games or five goals in in the last four. He's been he's sort of he's become a bit talismanic talismanic for them, Keith. Yeah, again, Drada. Probably, you know, sitting ninth in the league now is at the 14 points ahead of UCD. So I don't think there's any real any real worries about them going down in the automatic. But, you know, I, I think Trotter are a club that they're on a bit of a knife edge. Are they going to go back down the league? Are they going to start pointing to go up? And I know times are tough. I think they're probably one of the only part-time teams uh, in the in the league at the minute. So it's always going to be tough. But, look, it, it is what it is. And what Trotter what to do... They just stay in games. Even the Shelbourne game, they stayed in that. They stuck around. Yeah, they're ninth in the league at the minute. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were to finish sixth or seventh in the league. And I think that's probably all you can hope for. Like you say, you want an air of realism about this. And if they were finished mid-table, I think they'd be happy enough at the end of the day. And a decent team to go and watch. I do enjoy watching the play, I have to say. Yeah, and uh, Hoban at uh, Dundalk, Conan, I mean, um, they go 1-0 down against UCD and then he pops up with a hat-trick just when they need it because their form in recent times, even up at Shamrock Rovers, where they're up against 10 men, 1-0 down, but they don't really make an impression. Um, beating UCD, which would have been expected, it's still uh, a big deal in terms of pointing them in the right direction. And at the same time, the hat-trick means he's... Uh, He's equal Joey Donnelly's all-time scoring record. So a good day all round, both for him and also for Dundalk. Yeah, and I think we need to highlight that that achievement. Um, it's really remarkable for him, considering that he went across England for a couple of seasons as well, still come back and and to equal Joey Donnelly's record 
is is huge for him. Um, and he's as far as I'm concerned, I still think he's he's the best striker in the league in terms of in, in terms of all the attributes that he has. He can finish, he can hold the ball up, he's good in the air, he's strong, powerful, um, and he's a leader. And he's he's been absolutely superb for this for Dundalk and for the League of Ireland and and congratulations to Pat for, on his on his wonderful achievement. But like you said, there it's his first their first win in five. They haven't been they haven't been doing really really well, but they're still in the hunt for Europe. It's uh, and that's what Stephen O'Donnell will want. They'll want to be in those European positions coming the end of the season. And it was much needed win after the last couple of games. Um, as I said, their their the defensive woes still not great. First goal versus UCD yesterday wasn't uh, didn't cover themselves in glory in terms of Boyle and and Shepherd um, at the back. They're away to Cork on Friday, which will be another test considering Cork are on a magnificent run four in a row. Um, so that will be a big test going into the break. But with Sloggett back, Ainsley back, Andy Boyle back, obviously Pat Huben's back as well. Um, Daniel Kelly, Paul Doyle, these players now are coming back into the fold, and um, Dundalk now are are. Why go all guns blazing after the break with yeah. uh, with those players back? It's a great, it's a great link to Huben. I mean, he's a direct link back to the to the first and title win of this of this reign. I think back in twenty fourteen, he was the top scorer, and then he he jetted off to England for a while and was back. And it's a uh, yeah, he, he's he's definitely one of the the League of Ireland scoring legends. I think he might have. Being part of the Dundalk team that pushed Pats to the for the league title in 2013, even was he Conan? Yeah, he was there. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think he was there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they didn't didn't catch us that year though, Conor. <laughs> <laughs> and a happy ending for that for Pats that season. But uh, <laughs> yeah, in 2014, I couldn't even remember who he was there. In 2013, no, no, you were 2015, Keith. I think. <laughs> Somebody's memory is feeling Pats there. <laughs> but anyway, in the in the first division on Friday night, Finn Harps and Kerry drew nil all. Wexford beat Cove Ramblers two one. Waterford trash Treaty United seven nil. Bray Wanderers and Galway United drew one all. So the first time Galway had dropped points in in an age. And then Athlone Town beat Longford one nil in the Midlands derby. And then on Monday night, Athlone won again three one against Bray Wanderers. Treaty, uh, Treaty United drew one all with Wexford. Cove Ramblers beat Longford Town one nil. Galway United uh, bounced back with a 6-0 win over Finn Harps and then Waterford won 6-0 at Kerry. And what it does to the table, there's, Galway are still far ahead, but it's now 10 points clear of Waterford. And then from third to ninth, they're separated by eight points, which is a smaller gap than between first and second, which kind of gives you a picture of that league. But I was just going to mention Longford there. I mean, um, Connor, I don't know how... We're, 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 not, having, we're not having a good time, no. I thought uh, <laughs> losing the uh, the Midland Derby, that was a tough one. I, I know there was a very... It was terrible indiscipline in the finish of that game. I thought... Um, well, I mean, the, the the victory ending Galway United's uh, unbeaten run um, was a terrific night. A bit of an outlier, but yeah, it's a, it's a down season for Lamford. You know, we're not we're not really. Well, I suppose as you point out, you know that it's congested down there. So who knows? Maybe they'll climb up into the playoffs. But it's very hard to miss out in the playoff in the first division, as we know. But they might. Uh, you need a goal scorer, Connor. <laughs> need a goal scorer, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, but. Uh, yeah, it's a very strong out of course. I mean, two six nils last night. I mean, it's it's kind of there's there's a real uh, gulf, massive gulf, obviously between the top and the bottom of that league. You know. Yeah, for sure. And in the uh, women's Premier Division on Saturday, Treaty United and Sligo Rovers drew three all. 
P-Mount United stay top of the table, but they had to work for it, a 5-3 win against Athlone. And then DLR Waves beat Cork City 1-0 away. Shelburne, uh, the reigning champions, beat Galway 2-0 away as well. And then um, the derby between Bohemians and Shamrock Rovers at Daly Mount Park was a nil-all draw. And then after the game, Daryl Garrity was speaking to Bohemians' as Sarah Rowe, who has been part of what has been a very impressive Bowls side. Yeah, I think the draw was definitely um, the fair result. Like, they're up there, you know, they're unbeaten all season. So I think um, just to be up with the best of it, I think today was um, great for us. It was a great battle, really, when... Um, when you look at the game across the field there was a lot of one-on-one um like it was a lot of tackling i felt throughout the game yeah, so it yeah, was like definitely. it felt like everyone was just competing for everything so it was a lot of 50 50 balls but um yeah it's good to get the battle there did you enjoy your battle there with savannah i did the two of us yeah, were knocking lumps at each other yeah. it brought me back to um our under 19 days when we'd be at training so um yeah, it's um, it's always great to come up against um, a good player and um, to compete for every ball that you get. You get nothing easy. No, not in this league. Anyway. No. So <laughs> rest up now ahead of next week. Hope to finish on a boys. Yeah, definitely. Um, Cork next week, obviously back at Daily Mount as well. Um, so it'd be nice to get Cork at home. But um, yeah, you just can't take any team for granted um, in this league. I feel like the results have been different. Like over the last couple of weeks, there's been a few. Um, results that you wouldn't have predicted so I think um, that's the exciting part about this league it's definitely growing and getting better and every team kind of has a chance last one just to th- see your results in recent weeks do you think that's just the fact the new group comes together and trying to get used to each other that eventually you might click that's what happened the last years yeah I think that I think that's the thing we've definitely clicked a lot the last couple of weeks and um, we have just been playing our style of football and kind of imposing our game but I think we're also really well coached and um, the coaching staff are brilliant they're excellent they're high quality coaches across you know not only just Sean but also the coaches in behind him as well are doing such a good job so I think and um, that would have shown today in our performance you could see that we were well coached to play against yeah. Shamrock Rovers hard, I think that's hard, hard really well hard to break down and really well organised so I think that's a massive part to play in it and then on top of that I think the club have been doing so much like even the small gestures of like making a big deal out of all the home games it, it goes a long way girls give back when a club gives you everything so I think um, in terms of that like I, I haven't been at another stadium in the league where they put on as much of a show as Bose so I think that's a credit to Bose as well Alright and that is Daryl Garrity chatting to Sarah Rowe after Bose and Shamrock Rovers drew nil all and what it does the table, P-Mount on 31, Shamrock Rovers on 28 and Shelburne on 25 who are ahead of Bowes on 23 but we've also got Champions League and the final itself live on RTE2 and RT Player at 7pm on Saturday and also we'll have a live blog on RTE.ie slash sport and Connor, I suppose um, there's not a huge amount of romance around this if Manchester City win I think that's generally the sense when you compare it to some of the trebles that have happened in the past the build-up, and I, I know like Johnny McDonald and Graham Gartland were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, but there is that sense that um, you know it's a juggernaut and it's impressive in terms of what happens on the pitch, but it's not a you know it's not it's not as ro- romantic a victory as some of the other huge successes. No, it's the death of romance. You know, it's entirely logical. It's the entirely logical outcome of what City, I suppose, have done over the past ten years. The death of romance on the week that Love Island uh, returns as well. I mean, yeah. I just said you weren't going to mention it, Ralph. <laughs> Unfortunately, I couldn't. I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Love Island is probably more, definitely more uncertain of the Champions League final. I suggest. Uh, yeah, you'd imagine City will uh, roll well. 
I suppose Italian teams have been known to pull it out in one-off games before. There's a great heritage and tradition of doing that. I mean, this is a very tall order, though, given how good Man City are. Um, you know, they fall, they faltered at this stage in the past. Chelsea caught them a couple of years ago, but they seem they seem to have generally built their sense of invincibility gradually, and now they're fully they they seem almost fully invincible at this point. Now with Haaland added into the mix there, and he's he, he's provided them with a dimension they didn't had have before. Pep seemed very reluctant to go that route for a long time, but now it's Haaland is kind of integrated into the project, and yeah, they look. Uh, Phenomenal team, obviously. And unless Inter can dig, if Inter pull it off, it'll be one of the greatest, you know, defense. I can see it will be one of the greatest defensive and cynical coups that an Italian club has ever pulled off. But uh, I, uh, I, I presume City will win probably by two to three goals, I suspect. Yeah, and Keith, I mean, they got over what would have been always an awkward um, challenge in the FA Cup final, given it was a derby against Manchester United. And despite the, I suppose, the superiority gulf there between the two clubs um you know it, and again they they only won 2-1 and it was probably tighter than maybe some people would have expected but what are city's weaknesses if there are any because it seems to be hard to find and at least um you know opponents are finding it hard to you know to find sort of that you know gap in the armor yeah it's it's very difficult to see uh, any glaring weaknesses really anywhere it's, the one thing um Obviously, I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm not a Manchester City fan. But the one thing that I'd be worried about as a City supporter would be if Pep starts to tinker and maybe overthink things. And I think nine times out of ten, Manchester City's players are better than the other players that are on the pitch. So if they work as hard as them, they'll win the game. It's as simple as that. But sometimes Pep just gets bogged down in these tactics. And I think if Inter Milan were to were to watch the FA Cup final, when you look at the likes of Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Jack Grealish and Erling Haaland, they didn't do a thing in the game. They were kept very, very quiet. It was Ilkay Gundogan that came out with the two goals. And people will say it was a tight game. I, I don't really buy that. I know it was a 2-1 result, but I thought City were very, very comfortable within the game. I thought United struggled. The goal they scored, I didn't think it was a penalty. I thought they were quite lucky to get the penalty. And when you think of Ortega as the number two goalkeeper, he, he didn't have a save to make. They didn't put him under any pressure. He wasn't coming out having the catch crosses, he wasn't having to come out spring off his line, it was largely easy enough day for him, and like I said, I, I think the penalty, they got themselves back into the game but it was largely down to luck and the, I thought it was a poor decision, I know United fans would be screaming at me now saying we hit the crossfire in the last minute it was sort of, you know, helter skelter slush, pumping balls into the box, hoping for the best and it clipped off the crossfire but for me, I thought City had another couple of gears to go with and I think if United were to get on the score sheet again and make it 2 off. I thought City had another gear to just go, yeah, with Peavy's at arm's length the whole time. And I thought towards the end, City actually went into just conservative mode, didn't want to run too much, was trying to save the legs for the for the Champions League final. But when you look at Guardiola's reaction after the, the emotion, the outpouring of emotion, I think he knew that this was the trickiest game of the two. And that, that's no disrespect to Inter Milan. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Inter Milan were to beat them. The Italians notoriously very, very good at defending and can land a counter of punch so I wouldn't be surprised if Inter Milan were to win it, but I think Pep looked at the two finals and thought the Manchester Derby's the one. If we win that, we've taken a big, big step towards the treble. And I do expect them to win it, but you know, Inter Milan have it. And oh, oh, could Romelu Lukaku have a little bit of his play for, uh, for his ex-team, Manchester United? I'm not too sure, but I don't know. Will, will Pep start overthinking this and just get in his own way? Who knows?
Yeah, and I mean, there, there could be the poetic thing of Ed and Jekko actually scoring um, the winner if that if that were to happen as well. I mean, um, I don't think, uh, well, maybe City fans would find uh, find a place in their heart to forgive him for that. But um, Conan, just on Inter Milan's approach, I think as Connor said there and as Keith mentioned as well, I think they can be ultra defensive and maybe they're actually even almost more comfortable with that in a, in a game like this. But it's still, you know, even looking at the system though that they're playing, I mean... Conte was their manager uh, previous to Inzaghi, and he would have set up this uh, tree, uh, this back, back tree system, and then Inzaghi came in and has evolved it slightly. So Spurs under Conte before um, before his departure earlier this season, they did um, they did beat they did beat City in the Premier League, but again, um, I suppose it was a different time in the season where maybe City weren't quite as they they hadn't really they hadn't hit the ground running at that stage. Um, so I just wonder, like, how how do you enter? How do you enter deal with this? Is it just sit back and, you know, uh, obviously there might be a threat on the counter, but just how how defensive do they have to be? Is it sort of like Chelsea against Bayern Munich in in the twenty thirteen or twenty twelve final? Um, I, look, I think what's going under radar here is Simone and Simone and Zaghi has seven wins and seven finals as a manager. Um, now I know they're all Italian finals and they're probably favourites in them all, but. He knows how to win them. Um, and that's a very in- interesting stat. But like, I'm going to put my neck out here and I think Man City are going to win by three or four. Um, and I just, I, the reason why I say that is because of the shape. I think the shape that Man City have is, I feel that they're going to, in wide areas, come to destroy Inter. Um, like you've met uh, Darmian, Bastoni, um, and Acherby in, in, as a three, probably the three centre-backs. Uh, Dumfries right wing back and I think in those situations you're going to have Darmian and Dumfries up against Grealish who's in absolutely scintillating form kept quiet the other night by Wan-Bissaka who's probably one of the best one-to-one defenders 1v1 defenders in in, in the Premier League um, and Di Marco and left wing back um, and I just think I just think Man City's threat going forward um, albeit Italians defensive minded I just think they're just going to overrun them I think with Stone's quality in midfield, the way he just drops in there and does, and he played excellently again in that position and, and on Saturday, um, Gundogan's form as well. De Bruyne, these these lads are going to want to step up. It's the biggest game of their lives in terms of club football, and um, I, I honestly God, I think it's going to be three or four. Yeah, and uh, obviously you mentioned the the start about the uh, the cup finals that Inzaghi's been involved in, and one of them was. Already this season against Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia final, where um, Inter got the better of Fiorentina, and Fiorentina now have a second go at it in the Europa Conference League final against West Ham. And what we have now are two teams, uh, Conan, that haven't won a lot of trophies in the last while. Now Fiorentina are more recent; I think they they won the uh, Italian Cup in two thousand and one or there thereabouts. Um, West Ham have to go back <laughs> a good bit further. <laughs> yeah, but the look, they Championship, wasn't it? <laughs> oh well, oh well. I, I was, I was, I was ignoring the championship. <laughs> I, I meant uh, the. I was thinking more of like the FA Cup uh, back in nineteen eighty. But if, well, okay, if it's the championship, then fair enough. Maybe if they going back that. to Trevor Brookings' time, where we can't were. count that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now they're they're in a bit of form now, Fiorentina, since that Coppa Italia final, and where they lost two one to Inter, um, but. They beat they beat Roma two one at home. They bet Sassuolo three one away. Um, there last Friday evening. Um, so they're coming into the game on 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 the back of good form. 
They have the Moroccan midfielder Amrabat, who's who who was absolutely superb in the World Cup for Morocco. He's uh, plays in the six, really really good, and they have quality all over the pitch, especially in attacking areas with Akone on one side and Kouame in the other. So, um, they do have attacking options, Fiorentina that can that can really hurt West Ham. Um, and it's just whether West Ham can put their domestic form to one side and to turn up in a, in a European final. And surely they, they can do that. They have players capable of it. They have players that have played it in, in, in big games and big tournaments. Um, so I think this is going to be much closer than, than the Champions League final. And I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a, a really, really good game. Yeah, and uh, Declan Rice, this is probably his West Ham swan song, um, Keith. But, you know, the rumour is he's going to your beloved Arsenal, uh, potentially. Obviously, there's a few clubs. I think they're talking about Bayern Munich, Manchester United. A few clubs are interested. But A, um, it's a huge game for him. But then B, also, would you take him at Arsenal? Um, is he as highly rated as, or as is he as good as maybe, um, you know, he's rated by um, some um, people in the English media? Yeah, I think so, Raph, and it'd be quite rare you'd hear me saying things like that because usually the English media will really overinflate an English player, but I think Declan Rice actually lives up to it. The way he's played for England, the way he played for West Ham, he, he is, he's a defensive midfielder, but he can get the ball on the edge of his own 18-yard box and at the drop of a happy at the edge of the other 18-yard box. He's a brilliant, brilliant ball carrier. <clears throat> he travels, he reads the game really well, and he's a decent passer as well. He's not bad in the air, so he has a little bit of everything in I think they're the sort of players that Arsenal need to be signing. You don't want the, you know, the older players coming in, 29, 40, 31. These lads, I think, you know, have been there. Have done it. I think Declan Rice still thinks, for all the, all the, how good his CV is, World Cups he's played, and I still think he believes he's a little bit more to learn, which is what you want. You want lads coming in open-minded. But in terms of the final, I think these two are really, really well matched. I'd be very similar to Conan. I think Florentina will, will go there and they'll actually throw a few punches. I don't think they'll sit back and, try and hit uh, West Ham on the counter-attack. They both scored an average of 2.4 goals a game. But critically, I think West Ham's defence is an awful lot better than uh, Florentina. So I think it'll come down to West Ham being an awful lot more solid at the back and just maybe nicking it one, maybe 2-1 on the break. I, I can see both teams scoring and maybe West Ham winning it. I'd like to see West Ham winning it. And I've I said this, I said this uh, in RTE, I said it to Dez, obviously a big West Ham fan. Where does David Moyes go from here if he loses this final? Because I know the Premier League form hasn't been great, but if he wins this, that obviously puts a lovely shine on, on the end of the season. But in, in terms of the Premier League, it's been very, very underwhelming. So I, I, I'm not even sure if, if David Moyes needs to win this for his, uh, to keep his job. But like I said, I think it'll be very, very tight, but I think West Ham will come out on the right side of it. Yeah, and uh, Connor, while we've been recording, and this sometimes we get very unlucky that sometimes uh, breaking news tends to happen right after. Big we Ange, big, but, Ange. Yeah, big Ange, big Ange leaving Celtic to uh, to go to Spurs. Four year deal there. Four year, a four year deal is. I mean, he's done well there to get a four year deal. Um, yeah, he seems like a he seems like a good fit for for Spurs. I know it was said that uh, Conte was a terrible fit for Spurs because Conte sort of goes into a sort of nervous panic if he doesn't win a trophy every six months you know so which you're not going to get that you're certainly not guaranteed that at Spurs so I mean Conte you know he seemed to be driven demented by them and you know had an almost a moral revulsion for the whole enterprise down there uh, Postacoglu seems uh, far uh, far more humble and uh, you know willing to willing to build something there I suspect so he's probably more suited to where Spurs are, are at the moment I mean Daniel Levy has made some terrible managerial 
uh, picks over his his long tenure there. Um, this 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 might be one of the better ones, hopefully. But uh, yeah, big loss to Celtic. I mean, it'll be interesting to see who who they'll get after this. Yeah, and uh, James Abanqua as well. Um, at Conan, I mean, he he'd already made his Serie A debut against Bologna back in April, but uh, first start and against Juventus, no less, uh, at the weekend. And obviously, you've probably seen him up close at Pats over the years as he was developing and then getting into the the first team. But it's a it's and I think also today I heard he's been called into the Ireland under twenty ones. So huge progression from. Yeah, he got called into the under twenty ones today, Raf, and great to see that and. Like just even for his development, playing against Juventus, you know, it's up against Milik and Chiesa. Like it's fantastic for him. He played an hour. He got suffered a little injury and came off at nil all. So he wasn't on the pitch when Juventus scored. That's what I'd be saying. Uh, so we kept the clean sheet. But um, yeah, he always had the talent to go on and, and play at a much higher level than the League of Ireland. And it's great to see him now. He's started it now his first Serie A game, last game of the season. Now, has to have a good, very, very good preseason and kick, uh, hit the ground running then for next year and try and get more games under his belt. But it's great, great for Pats in terms of the development that they've given him and and the players at the club. And I don't think we 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 say it enough about the the work that goes on at League of Ireland academies, not just at Pats but at Rovers as well. We saw the under seventeens and how well they did. So yeah, it's starting to to see the the fruits of that um on a on a European stage, which is great to see. Yeah, and Connor, yeah, I think he's the, he's the only. I believe he's the only St. Mel's College alumnus. Yeah, here I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to confirm. Yeah, that. I was. Go, I was going to say like he's probably the most, the second most famous alumni of uh, of that school after you, of course. After, after me, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, before Ooh, we go. Yeah, before we go, I was going to mention, um, obviously, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is after retiring. Uh, again, another kind of Serie A mention at AC Milan at the age of 41. Obviously, this is the uh, the autobiography, and uh, it's definitely worth a read. I mean, he's uh, there's some of the quotes in there, I think, Connor, you were mentioning, where, uh, you know, they do stand out. And the thing is, like, as great a player as he's been, he's arguably a bigger cult hero figure, and you don't really always get that with players of that stature. Yeah, he's a very wild card, enigma- enigmatic sort of figure. He was um, kind of felt like a Cantona of his era for a while. Um, I know he, for a time he was even grouped in amongst Messi and Ronaldo and that the, 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 the perennial question there back 10 years ago between the two. And Ibrahimovic was, was even dropped into that by some people. I don't know was he ever at that level or if he ever justified that. But he certainly... Spectacular player on his day. Um, won a tremendous amount of league titles in a row, I believe, um, if you include a couple of the dodgy Juventus ones. But yeah, he, uh, he uh, yeah, a great career and a very long career and a very uh, one uh, decorated by some glittering moments. Yeah, Keith, I suppose, a great character within the game as well. Yeah, just, I've I heard some of, the, some of these quotes during the during his time playing football, I remember Arsenal tried to get him to come on trial and he's replied to Arsenal Wenger was left hand doesn't do trials. It, it's just <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. And yeah, I loved him as a character. I loved watching him play. I thought he was brilliant. His movement was brilliant. The physical, he, he loved to get physical with people, but he was very, very elegant as well. And I think, didn't he pay, say to Pep Guardiola, you bought a Ferrari, but you're treating me like a Fiat Punto. That, yeah, it's something, it's something along those lines, yeah. Unbelievable is to have that sort of confidence in yourself to be at Barcelona and you're not playing and you're thinking this is not good enough. I, I'm too good to be sitting on the bench here. It's it's excellent. And the one thing when I think is Latin, obviously all these quotes come out, but 
that overhead pick he scored against England as well was absolutely but like these, these things just blow you away and although he was a big big character off the pitch he done a lot, a lot of his talking on the pitch I thought he was I thought he was a super player I loved watching him on the pitch and I loved watching him off the pitch I thought he was you know absolute gold yeah, and uh, I think it's just been mentioned there, Conan, uh, before we go. I mean, um, Zlatan, not just because he played at Inter Milan, but he'll definitely want Inter Milan to to win this final uh, against uh, Pep City. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course he will, yeah. Keith, I was just wondering there, Keith, have you ever played against them? Zlatan, no, no, yeah. No, asking me these questions, now I have to start thinking. Um, <laughs> he was late, wasn't he, coming to England? 20, 2017? Yeah, yeah, even in, yeah, yeah, yeah. He won I was even thinking international. Um, but uh, no, he was uh, uh, he was one of those players that you always look forward to seeing. Um, if there was a game on the telly and let's say Sweden, like the World Cup or wherever Sweden were playing, you probably wouldn't have watched the game, but you were only going to watch it because Ibrahimovic was was in the starting eleven, and you just wanted to see what he would do. Um, remember his goal against Italy, where he kind of. Hit it with his back heel up over the oh, and the Euros, yeah, Euro Tyson uh, four, yeah, yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal goal. Um, and he was just a character, like, and he, even in his send off there, where Verona were shouting at him, and he's like, Yeah, this is the best thing that you've seen all season. Like, <laughs> it's uh, it's just his charisma, it's yeah, we'll miss him, yeah. Uh, oddly enough, a player who actually never scored in the uh, in the FIFA World Cup at any point, uh, played in a couple of them. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, we do have the under 20 World Cup as well. So you can watch that on the RT News channel and RT Player on Wednesday. And then, as we mentioned, the Champions League final live on RT2 and the RT Player on Saturday. And the day before that, Friday night, we've got League of Ireland, Derry City against Bowles. But uh, Conan Byrne, thanks a million for taking the time. Keith Tracy and also St. Mel's most famous product, uh, Conor Neville as well. Jointly, I'll concede that. <laughs>